And uh, we're going to be in the book of uh, uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. And uh, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I trust that you'll have found your place there already. And we'll take a look into the Scriptures, what God has to say to us this morning. Uh, one of the phrases that we hear during this political season in the midst of this uh, pandemic uh, is, I believe in science. I believe in science. Science, and what can be repeated and observed in the laboratory, is what is believable. And uh, uh, we've been conditioned to think here in the West that uh, what is um, observable, what we can see, that is what we are to believe. If you can't see it, don't believe it. And the reality is, is that this thinking runs counter to the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden when we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we live by faith that, that all of a sudden we, be, we, you know, we throw reason out the window and there's no place for rational thought. That's, that's not what the scripture is teaching. That's not what is expected of believers. But we walk primarily by faith, not by the things that we can see. We walk by the revelation that God has given to us in, the, in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. And by faith we believe the revelation even if it is contrary to science. Like revelation, our faith in the revelation of who God is, that is what we put our trust in. I think of, the, of um, Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, Resurrection Sunday. The disciples were together in the upper room. Thomas, for whatever reason, was absent. But Jesus showed up in their midst and met with the disciples and the disciples found Thomas and said, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. Jesus is alive and he showed up tonight and, and you missed it. And Thomas, the skeptic, said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And a week later, the disciples were together again and, and Jesus uh, showed up in the midst of them and Thomas this time saw Jesus and believed. Jesus said to him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen but blessed are those who believe and do not see. And so we believe in science. We believe in technology. We believe in the advancements that we enjoy. Yes, but science or any other methodology cannot, should not, must not trump faith in the life of a believer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so this morning we're going to take a look at what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? Is it, is it uh, just, you know, no rational thought? Is that what it means to live by faith? Or, or is there something else that is involved that is going to be entailed in, in living by faith? Our, our faith principle this morning is this. Our eyes look to what our hearts long, or, or what our hearts love. Our eyes look to what our hearts love. And so today we're going to continue looking at the life of Abram in the Old Testament. And we're going to see this morning two men who made choices based on what they saw. One saw with his physical eyes. The other saw with his spiritual eyes. One is going to choose the temporal. The other is going to choose the eternal. One is going to be uh, reduced, the other is going to be exalted. Why? Because our eyes look to what our hearts love. 
what our hearts long for. And so let's begin by understanding and seeing what the scriptures have to say to us this morning. Let's begin. Faith, living by faith means, number one, returning to the Lord. Returning to the Lord. If you remember from last week, Genesis chapter 12, uh, the past two weeks, we'll just do a quick review. Uh, Abram was living as an idolater in the region of Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. And there God called Abram to leave his land, to leave his family, and to leave all that he has known and to go to the land that God was going to show him. And Abram, along the way, left his father in Haran, journeyed 800 miles from Iraq, went north on, up the Euphrates rivers, down through Syria, Damascus, went into the promised land, and he dwelt there. The Bible doesn't say how long. A famine came, and Abram, out of fear, out of necessity, chose to leave the land that God had promised him. And he went to Egypt, and while there, he resorted to his own tactics, and he said to his wife Sarah, said, tell everyone you're my sister, because if they don't, they're going to kill me, and it'll go well for me if they think you're my sister. And we saw last week that Pharaoh um, treated Abram generously, bountifully, but God afflicted the household of Pharaoh with plagues, and so Pharaoh sent Abram back. And so after that temporary failure of faith, which took Abram from the promised land down to Egypt, Abram here now in chapter 13 is once again returning to Canaan. And more importantly, he's not returning just to the land, but he's returning to the Lord. And so if you have a copy of God's word, look with me down to verse 1, beginning of verse 1, we'll go down to verse 5. And so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him or Lot with them, rather, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so let's just stop here and let's think about what does it mean to, to live by faith when when we're confronted with the choices of life, are we going to rely on science and the wisdom of this world? Or are we going to rely on faith? Or are we going to make our choices based on faith? And so notice what's happening here. Abram is returning to Egypt, but he's returning from Egypt, or returning rather not to Egypt, but from Egypt, but he's returning from Egypt very wealthy. The, the word there when it says he's very rich uh, means to be heavy. Well, we could say it this way. A little bit older, those of you who are younger may not use this language, but those who are my generation would say, this guy was loaded, right? This guy was going home, loaded. He, this had it, he had it all. And if we're not careful, we could take a look at this story and we think, well, well, man, this worked out for Abram well. I mean, he, he didn't trust God. He took things into his own hands. Uh, and God has blessed him anyways, I mean, he has, a, he, he has everything. His failure didn't hurt, but in fact, his disobedience helped him. And to many of us, we might think, well, Abraham was living the dream. But let's remember the principle. Our eyes look to what our hearts love. Not everything is always as it seems. Is that not true? We're going to find here this morning and in the weeks to come that everything that Abram returned from Egypt with 
uh, would cause him trouble. In a few verses that we're going to see, in a few verses we're going to see that all the wealth that Abram returned with caused problems for both he and Lot. We're going to learn in chapter 16 that Sarai, Abram's wife, left Egypt with a maid named Hagar. Does her name ring a bell? We're going to learn more about her in chapter 16 of Genesis in a few weeks. What I want you to see here this morning is what Abram did. He left Egypt. The Bible says that he went into the Negev. The Negev is the southern part of the land of promise, the land of Israel. But he didn't just get into the land. He didn't stay just in the Negev. He went all the way back to Bethel, the place where he had at first built an altar. There was something significant in Abram's actions here is that Abram was not returning to the land alone. He was returning to the Lord he had left. And I think there's an application for us here. And the application is this, is never abandon your altar. Don't leave the God that you love. Don't, you know, so many times we're going to respond to the pressures, to the fears of life, to the choices that are in front of us. And not, we're not going to respond in faith. We're going to be like Abraham. We're going to respond out of our flesh. And we saw that word last week, flesh, following long established sinful habits. And we're going to respond to the things that are in front of us, not by faith, but we're going to respond according to the flesh. And, and so we're, gonna, we're reminded here in this story of Abram that we need to confront our fears and respond to the tests of, our, of life with faith. The, Abram, the, the lesson from Abram's life, the choice that he is making here is, is instructive for us is that we must stay in fellowship with the Lord no matter what the circumstances in front of us might be. And maybe you're here this morning and you have found yourself... Um, disobeying God and now you find yourself being disciplined by God. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the discipline of God where the writer of Hebrews says endure hardship as God's discipline. And if you find yourself here knowing that you have disobeyed God and you find yourself being disciplined by God, go back to the place where you left him and make things right with the Lord. See, the truth is that none of us in this room have it all together 100% of the time, amen? None of us. And so, because our lives, I, I would imagine most of us in this room, there's been a point in our life where we have come to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We have turned from our sins, we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we find ourselves wavering between faith in Christ and trying to navigate life on our own and make it work out the best the way we think it works out. And we're like Abram. We, we're wavering between faith and unbelief. And so for us, the Christian life is to be a life of continual repentance where we're turning back to the Lord who we love but have left. I think of um, that hymn that we sing often, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. If the Lord had blessed me with a voice to sing, I'd sing it for you, but I'm just going to read the lyrics and spare all of us the torture. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Let my heart sing of Your grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, 
That's from God. Call for songs of loudest praise. That's my response. Teach me some melodious song as sung by flaming tongues above. Let my song, let the songs of the song of my lips be the song that's being chorused in heaven. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming grace. I'm focused on, on the, the blessings of your redeeming love and grace that are flowing into my life. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You say, here's my Ebenezer. Is that my kid? Am I raising my Ebenezer? What, what's an Ebenezer? Uh, it's a, it comes from uh, 1 Samuel, uh, uh, where, where it's a stone of remembrance, a stone of deliverance. When, when, when the Israelites experienced God's miraculous de- deliverance, they, 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 they planted a stone, an Ebenezer stone, a stone of remembrance. Say, it, it was a marker. Say, this is where we experienced God's deliverance. And so here I raise my marker of remembrance. Here, there, by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How many of us here this morning could sing this song? Jesus sought me when I was a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Is that anybody's testimony here this morning? We'll give an altar call. How many, no, is it anybody's testimony? I got a couple here. Right, left side, right, right side, you're unconverted or what? I mean, oh, Lord help us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were seeking him, not while we were turning our lives around, not while we were cleaning ourselves up. While we were sinners, while we were rebelling against God, God demonstrated his love. Christ died for us. Listen, you and I, if, if, if Christ doesn't save us, we have no Savior. Right? And we need him. But oh, listen to the last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. I'm, I'm, I'm constrained to be a debtor to the grace of God. Let that goodness, let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. How, how many of us will be honest enough to say this morning, yeah, that's me. I, I know what that song's all about. I, Sunday morning, and I'm all in. I'm worshiping God. And Monday morning, the tests come, and, and, and I'm, I'm choosing my own course. Any, anybody here? Yeah. And so living by faith means that we learn to return to the Lord that we have left. Uh, returning to the Lord. Number two, living by faith means uh, releasing your rights, releasing your rights. Uh, let me ask you some questions. Uh, what happens when you've been wronged? What happens when you've been wronged? How, how do you respond when, when you're in the right? Right? Like, like they're wrong in your right, and you know it, they know it. Right? And, and what happens if you don't get your way? Or if you don't get what you want, how do you respond? Right? I mean, if you're married, I mean, you end up having a fight. This isn't a hypothetical situation. 
Now, this is the reality of daily life. The, the book of James addresses the issue of fighting and conflict and, the, and, the, and strife that tears us apart. We, we tear our homes apart. We, we, we tear our churches apart. As a country, we're being torn apart right now. Why is it? James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You know what James is saying? The, the problem is not with you and out there. That, that's not why we have a problem. The problem is with me, and it's in here. That's what James is saying. So look what, in James, or Genesis chapter 13, look what, look what happened to Abram and Lot. Here, here we find the first problem that, that wealth can create. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You need to remember who's writing the book of Genesis. The, the human author of Genesis is Moses. Moses is writing some 600 years after Abram. And Moses is writing to that Two million people that God has delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're in the wilderness, and they're wandering, they're going to the promised land, and God has inspired Moses to write a history of their beginning. And there's a note for the people that Moses is writing to, that generation, says, you're going into the land of Canaan, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites say, you're going to encounter we're living in the land at the time of Abram. He's just reminding that, that we're, as, the, as people of faith, we're going to live among people who don't believe in God. It's just, it's just a subtle reminder here for us. Verse 8. And so Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? If you take the left hand, left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. And we'll stop right there. We see what's happening here. Abram and Lot are both wealthy men. And they're back in the land that God has promised them. Promised Abram. And the problem is that they're in the land, but they don't own any of it. They're living among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They have the land. And so the, herds, the, the, the herdsmen of Abram and livestock, they start to fight. There, there's strife. That word there for strife has the idea of heated conflict. They're coming to blows. right? They're, 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 um, their violence is breaking out. You know, sometimes it feels like we're living in the United States. Anyways, uh, Abram uh, takes the initiative and he goes to his nephew and he appealed to nephew first on the basis of relationship. He, this, this tells us there's something different here in Abram than there was in chapter 12. When, when Abram went to Egypt, he said, hey, tell everyone you're my sister, and it'll go well for me because they'll think you're my sister. Here, Abram uh, appeals to Lot 
on the basis, and he says, we're kinsmen. We're men who are brothers. And the idea there is, listen, men, it's not right for men to fight, how much less for brothers to fight. And so Abram did the most generous thing. He said, Lot, you choose. You decide where you want to go. You pick the land. If you go there, I'll go here. If you go here, I'll go there. And we remember, this is a patriarchal society where age and paternity go first. Abram had every right to say, Lot, you go there. I'm going here. we got to stop the fighting. But that's not what he did. And here's the lesson. Living by faith. Living by faith means that we are able to and we begin to release our rights Release what is ours without resentment, without fighting, without grumbling, without arguing, without fear, without prejudice. Why? Because this is the way of Christ. This is the way of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was here on the earth, he reminded his disciples about the way of Gentiles and their rulers. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says that the Gentiles and the rulers, the unbelievers, that they value, they prize their position, they hold on to their possessions, they, they, they exercise their rights. But Jesus said, that's not the way it is with my kingdom. No, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. If you want to be first, you go last. If you want to be the greatest, you learn to serve. That, that's the way of God's kingdom, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray in that hour of trial and testing? What did Jesus pray? Let my will be done? No, let your will be done, right? Let your will be done. Not my will, your will. And God would inspire the Apostle Paul to write these words to the church in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. How? Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. What was that attitude? Though he was God. He did not think equality with God is something to do, uh, something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. You see what, what the scripture is saying here? That a life of faith surrenders. I surrender my rights. What is mine, what I want to God for the sake of others. Think of the promise of meekness. Right? The world says meekness is, meekness is what? <laughs> Y'all with me? Weakness, thank you. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he quoted um, Psalm chapter 37, verse 11. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The world says, man, listen, don't, don't let anybody walk on you. You stand up for yourself. Make a name for yourself. You, you know, you make sure that you look out for number one. That's the way of the world. That's not what Jesus said. No, the way of faith is the pathway of meekness. I'm going to yield my rights, believing that I can trust God with everything. And we see Abram doing that here. 
Abram trusted God and he yielded his rights and he, and he gave Lot the first choice and notice what happened. Number three, living by faith means realigning your priorities, realigning your priorities. Look what happened there in verse 10. And, and we're going to see here the choice that Lot made and the result of Abram's choice to let Lot have the first choice. Right? Look what it says. Lot lifted up. I want you to notice the actions of Lot. Notice the actions of Lot. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. Zoar is the southern tip of the Dead Sea. So if you go to modern-day Israel and, and you take a tour through Israel, the land of Israel, you'll, you'll visit the Dead Sea, you'll stand, stay at the, that city there at the bottom of the Dead Sea, that's the land of, that city of Zoar. It's near Sodom. End of verse 10. This is the, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan value, Valley, that the, and, and Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Now notice what Abram did. Abram settled the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And now again, we're given an editorial note, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Right, So let's just think about um, the choices that are being made here in these verses. Uh, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. He saw the land. He said, man, he valued the land. The land looks like Eden. It looks like Egypt. And it's near Zoar. And he saw all the prosperity. He's, he remembered what the scripture had to say about Eden. The blessing of God there. He saw the, the material wealth of Egypt. He saw the, the material prosperity of Zoar and he says that's what I want I'm going there he chose for himself the Bible says and he journeyed east again the faith principle our eyes look to what our hearts love when Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that prosperity he said I want it and he made his way to Zoar went east it's interesting when you go through the book of Genesis Every time you find the, the direction east, it's always in reference to moving away from God. Like Cain, after he killed his brother Abel, and God put that curse on him, a curse of protection, Cain went east, right? God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden through the eastern entrance to the garden. When the, the builders of the Tower of Babel they went east. And so every time you find east, it's not so much a geographical direction, although it was a geographical direction. It was a picture for Lot's, the direction of Lot's life. He was, he was moving away from God. He pitched his tent near the city of Sodom. What was he doing? He says, I'm going to get to the very edge of the promised land. I'm going to try to get as far away from where God wants me to be. And he chose to live there. Let me ask you the question this morning. What's the direction of your life? What is the direction 
of what direction is your life moving? What are you chasing after? What is your heart longing for? Are you longing for the things of God? Are you longing more of God? Is it as we sang this morning that in you, my soul alone, I trust in no other will I be satisfied? Or are you trying to find your soul satisfaction in the things of this world? Right? First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 warns us. It says that if you, the one who loves the world cannot love God at the same time. It's, it's, you, you can't be double-minded. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, um, all of these things are of the world, and they're passing away. They're temporary. They're transitory. And how many times we who are gathered here, even us who are gathered here today, maybe unintentionally and imperceptibly, we have begun to love the things that God hates, and we've begun to hate the things God loves. It, it's subtle. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. The, and, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And so many times we seek first the other things and we make God and his righteousness, the kingdom of God and his righteousness an afterthought in our lives. And, and we're just reminded here in this passage, Genesis chapter 13, that a life of faith is a life whose priorities are realigned with the heart of God. Our eyes see what our heart loves and longs for. And so finally, living by faith means uh, worshiping God. Uh, worshiping God. Uh, <clears throat> we might say that, man, if, uh, from an outward perspective, uh, Abram gave away the farm. Uh, from, he, this was a colossal mistake. He gave everything away. He, he gave the land away. He gave the best land away. Um, he, he stayed in Canaan. Uh, Lot went to where all the wealth was. What was Abram thinking? I, I mean, it, the, the, the values of our American culture, man, we would have said, hey, we're going the way of Lot. But the values of God's kingdom are to say that we're to go the way of Abram. What does it mean to worship God? Uh, you know, um, it means that we begin to seek God and we begin to love God above all else. At the very basis, that's what it means to worship God, to, to seek Him and to love Him above all else. Look what happened uh, beginning in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now listen to what God said. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that is yours, I will, um, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if no one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So, now notice what Abram did. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. God appeared to Abram. And God said to him, Abram, lift up your eyes and take a look. 
And everywhere Abram looked, God said, Abram, um, this is the land that I'm going to give to you. Everywhere you can look, I'm going to give this land to you. Not only would he give Abram the land, but he would give Abram descendants that couldn't be counted. And we remember, Abram at this time has no heir, he has no son, and now he has no nephew. I mean, there is nobody in line. Abram, only person he has is God. Only person he has is God. God says, Abram, lift up your eyes and look. And then the second thing God says to Abram is, Abram, lift up your feet to walk. Abram, God says to Abram, Abram, walk the land. Now, this isn't, you know, some name it and claim it thing, you know, like you walk the land that God's going to give to you. Just name it and claim it. No, that's, what's happening here is this, is that God is reminding Abram of all that he's promised to give him. And God is saying to Abram, Abram, God is seeking to, to strengthen the faith of Abram. The circumstances are against him. He has given away the farm. And God says, Abram, walk the land because it's all yours. I'm going to give it to you. He's strengthening the faith of Abram. And so notice what Abram did in verse 18. Abram lifted up his heart to worship God. Abram lifted up his heart to worship God. He went to Hebron, and he built his third altar in the promised land. And he worshiped God. You say, what does it mean to worship God? Uh, living by faith means that we worship, uh, live a life of, of worship where we seek God and we treasure him above everything else. That's how we live by faith in this world. In this world that, that emphasizes sight, if you can't see it, don't believe it. God is saying, no, no, that's not the way to live. You live, go through this world living by faith. How do you do that? Return to me. Release your rights. Worship me for who I am. Get your, lot, your priorities, in your, your, your heart in line with my heart. Seek to do that. Live by faith. Why do we do this? Because our eyes always look to what our heart loves. And so we deal with the heart first. Let's pray. We're going to end our service this morning with a, a, a song of prayer. I'm going to ask you to make, as we sing this final song, let this song to be your, begin to be your prayer this morning. What is God saying to you? What are the things that he's maybe saying to you that you need to surrender today? Uh, you know, just you know, as we, earlier in the service, as we had the time of prayer and that we, we just prayerfully sang, I surrender all. God was speaking to me in my heart in that point in the service about areas in my life that I want to hold on to and I, and I need to surrender those things to him. What is God calling you to surrender? Maybe it's your rights and your will. And you're seeking to rule your own life and you give God a small part. And you haven't surrendered the, the lordship, the issue of lordship and the control of your life to him. Maybe it's, you, you need to surrender a, a, a cherished sin, a, a secret behavior, a, an area where you're saying, I'm not going to follow God in this area. I'll follow God everywhere but this. You haven't surrendered all. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's your future, maybe it's your security, maybe it's your, your finances, that you're, you're putting all your stock in that. What is God calling you to surrender this morning? Living by faith, returning to him, releasing your rights, realigning your priorities, worshiping him. 